he got he nearly nailed that. Like I was this close to being the perfect kid all the way through life. <laughs> Obviously not, but um, I definitely am grateful for having um, some solid parents that put up with all my crap, and there was a lot of it. Um, I must admit to feeling a little bit uh, overwhelmed with doing a talk on like the resurrection of Christ because. It's huge. It's it's a massive thing, and I don't feel like I know enough to um, preach adequately on it. But I'm here, and I've done my best on preparing um, what Andy's given me. He gave me a part of Ephesians, um, and so as we celebrate one of the greatest events of in human history, I'm going to focus on on one little thing, something that comes out of this passage in Ephesians. Um, I'm just going to look at it with the perspective of trying to understand who God is a little bit more, like what kind of God we um, believe in. Uh, And one thing that really comes through this part of Ephesians is that he's a merciful God. Um, So I'll start with reading um, Ephesians 2, just verse 1 to 3. I've got a different translation to the pew bowls there, so if you're wondering, does he head in? Just that's why. (laughs) And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the curse of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body, of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And as I sat down and looked at this passage, I noticed Paul says something in those first few words. It's actually simple wording but quite profound. He opens with saying, you were, and you were in you were dead in the trespasses. That's past tense. Already, already on, the, on the front foot, Paul is acknowledging that this is where they once were and that they're not there anymore. And he backs that by um, where he says, uh, the way you once walked. And then he goes on later in the passage to give them a, an understanding of the life that they are to live in now. Um, so that's something we ought to really hold on to, is that the old, the dead... Like I really like that song we just did, I Will Rise. A lot of those lyrics basically sum up my whole talk, that we're once dead but we're, we're raised up in Christ. Uh, we need to allow ourselves to let go of the dead lives that we lived. And it's particularly amazing when you look at the context that the Ephesians are living in. That's who Paul's writing here to, the, the believers that are in Ephesus. Um, Ephesus was a place where it was on the coast, it was a port and it was a big trade hub um, and it also was really well known for having the Temple of Diana or also called the, temp- the Temple of Artemis because it's like a mix of Greek, Roman kind of thing and this was like a goddess of the moon and they called it the hunt and she was symbolic of um, fertility uh, and people would travel from around the area and go to this temple to, to worship this goddess and it's a pretty intense uh, culture that they're living in when you start to dig into it. Um, there was massive amounts of idolatry, so they'd make these little, uh, there's a big silver trade and they'd have these little silver um, statutes of uh, the goddess Diana. Um, and when people would come to the temple to worship, they'd, they'd play some instruments. And then the, the build-up, the climax of the worship in the temple would be these massive orgies with the priestesses. So that is what Paul is writing to here. He's writing to people who were once in that setting and are now trying to be believers 
with that still going on around them. You could, you could imagine what it would be like to live in an area where you've got so much influence coming in from different places, people bringing their ideas and, and it being all there, all happening. It's not too different to what we live in today. And Paul uses some interesting wording in this passage because he says, uh, you were dead in, in the trespasses and sins in which you walked. And then he, later he says, um, you once lived in the passions of your flesh. There's a little bit of a confusing wording there because Paul is basically saying you were living in death. Which might seem like, well, come on Paul, get your bearings together mate. What are you actually talking about? Paul's talking about two different types of life and death. You can be physically alive, which they all were at the time, but they were spiritually dead. That's what Paul's talking about. And that's, that's the message that resounds with us as well. We can be physically alive, um, but like most people here, I, I assume, you were once spiritually dead, but you're made alive now in Christ. I did a bit of digging into the wording, wondering if it would enlighten me with anything else. And the wording is, is quite interesting when you look at the Greek. Now, I'm no mad theologian, scholar dude, so I might not have got this 100% right, but I did my best. Um, in the first usage of the word where he says dead, it simply means that, dead. A physical death. Um, but later when he says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, the original Greek there is, is a little bit different and the, the definition of that word in that um, part of scripture is something more along the lines of, it'll be confusing, but it's have conversation. Now I might have that wrong, but I'm, I, I did a bit of work, I hope I got it, hopefully I got it right, but still it, it triggered something in my, in my mind, I was like, that's that's quite profound. Um, and anyone here who's had one of those conversations with me where I just go off the deep end and I start <laughs> thinking about all this crazy stuff, yeah, the people laughing know if I've had one with them, it got me going on one of those little tangents. And this is something I like thinking about is communication, like the act of, of having communication. It's simple, we do it all the time, I'm doing it right now, um, but what is actually happening is something that's quite profound. I can, for instance, take this bass guitar over here and let's pretend Dave's never ever seen a bass guitar in his life, but he's seen guitars maybe because he's into them. And I can look at that bass guitar and so I've, I've seen it with my eyes and now I've got the image of it in my head. I can then take that, put that into words and plant that image of the bass guitar that he hasn't seen into his brain. And that's basically one of the major things we do as humans going around day to day. I do it at work all the time. I teach apprentices and I take things that I know that are in my head and I put them into words and install them in their brains. And it's quite amazing. Um, so I can take, for instance, the gospel, something that happened 2,000 years ago, put that into words, tell someone that and now they have an understanding of something that happened 2,000 years ago right now. Obviously, I can't explain it in its full, but... On the other hand, you can use it to disastrous results, and this has happened as well. You can take very powerful leaders who are morally corrupt, and they can take their ideas of violence and destruction and put them into the minds of those who are following them. And I hope there's no real conservative people here, but that's actually happening right now with Donald Trump, for instance. 
He's, he's been inciting violence at his rallies and it's quite confronting to see that exact kind of thing happen. He's incited people to bash people at his rallies. It's amazing. So when God does it, for instance, it's, it's amazing. It's enlightening. It, 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 it gives life. That's when it's used for good. But it also happens on the other side of things. There's, there's someone who would want us to uh, be internally suffering and he can communicate to our brains as well. So I'll move now to the next part of Ephesians. I'm going to read now verses 4 to 8. I'll have a little sip of some water first. Alright. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Paul structures this in, a, in an interesting way in saying that um, God is rich in mercy because of love. So it's like a cause and effect thing. He has love and the effect of that is that he pours out mercy on us. He loves us greatly and gives us mercy greatly. And, and even though, as Paul states, we're living in death, he joins us with Christ, being raised to life. And I looked up the, the Greek on this one um, actually, where is it? It's back here. And it talks about being, the, the terminology is like, the definition, sorry, is um, quickened together, like joined together, fastened together kind of thing. And, and that's the context of it saying made us alive together with Christ. We are now fixed together. <sighs> He has led a way for us to follow. Um, in Luke, it's, Jesus is saying these exact words. He says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And Christ is, is here explaining this uh, means of getting this, this new life, abandoning the old uh, and clinging on to the new that he has. Um, and, and today signifies something amazing about Christ's life, death and resurrection is this raising him up from the death. And Paul in one of his other letters in Corinthians, he talks about how um, Jesus is the first fruits of those raised from death. So we're joined to Christ, right? That's what Paul's just said to us. And, and God raises him up first. And because we're joined to him, we get raised up as well. And it even says we get raised to the heavenly places to be with him so he can pour out kindness on us. So we're joined to Christ and we're made alive again. So we're brought out of being, as Paul explained in the first part, out of being 
spiritually dead, even though they were physically alive, to now we can be spiritually alive as well as physically alive. And one day we'll be seated with Jesus in heaven. And, and the, the profound thing that really hit me out of all of this passage is that he does all this so he can pour kindness on us. He, he saves us only to, to give us even more. He's already shown us kindness and then just pours even more kindness on top of that. It's, it's profound. So going back to where we once were, just like the Ephesians once were, where they're amongst everyone in darkness, physically alive but spiritually dead. I got this like image of how well, we're kind of like a bottle, kind of like this bottle. And any image that we bore of, of God while we're in that spiritually dead state we're like poured out and instead like scooped up dirty pond water and that's what filled us. And here being raised again to life is, is like us being emptied out of that rubbish, cleaned out and put into like imagine an infinite ocean of kindness and filled up with that instead and there's plenty more to go around. Um, I'm a plumber and I normally work kind of like lower mountains, sometimes towards like Penrith and during summer it's definitely hotter down there um, and I always seem to be working outside when it's hotter for some reason. Um, for instance, I was working down in Glenbrook and had one of those excavator things, digging in the ground, massive holes and running all this pipe work and you are sweating like crazy. It's just pouring out. And you've got bottles and you just go, you keep filling it up. I don't know how many litres sometimes I drink in a day, but you're just pouring it in and it's just pouring back out. And because it's new stuff that I'm typically working on, the water supply to the building site's not always the best. Um, that's why I'm there, I'm upgrading it. Um, and sometimes the water's like a little bit rusty or if you've just put new pipe in it, just like it's a bit gross in the mouth. But you've got to keep drinking the water. You know, it's good even though it leaves you like feeling thirsty and a little bit, Ugh. But my boss is awesome, right? He's got a fridge in the back of his ute and when he rocks up to site, it's just, it's the best. He sometimes pops in and he's like, he always pretty well offers you water or cans of coke and he just brings out, oh I want some water and he just put in there, there's some drinks for you and then shoots off sort of thing and when you grab that bottle of water that it's cold and it's like spring water like this, there's no aftertaste, it's just like clean, refreshing, delicious water. That came to my mind when I started thinking about this dead, made alive sort of thing. There's this longing, like Paul says, we're, we're following the desires of our flesh we, we can all admit to having that feeling where we're chasing something to make us feel good. But it just leaves us feeling thirsty. And we're, we're lost in the darkness, wandering, trying to find fulfilment in our lives. But we don't find it in anything worldly here. It just leaves us thirsty. But God in his great mercy, by what he's done on this cross, he reaches into our circumstance and, and hands us, like my boss sometimes, that beautifully cold, refreshing beverage. <laughs> And it's true fulfilment. It, it does quench the soul. It's a total contrast to the life that we once lived. So I'll move to the last part of this passage that Andy gave me. So this is verses 8 to 10. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Yet again, I'm sure Paul's really careful in the wording that he's chosen here. He says, by grace we have been saved through faith. So that grace that we looked at before, motivated by God's abounding love for us, love we can barely grasp, as Amanda was saying, love for us in a bad circumstance to he desired to make it better for us. He joined us to him, then to pour kindness on to kindness. We can just accept this grace by, by having faith that Christ has the power to actually save us. So now, as Paul concludes his, this section, to the matter at hand, doing the things he has planned for us. I like to try and talk in a challenging way, build you up and then smash you. <laughs> no, not really, not really. Paul writes in this, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are created, purposed. But what are these good works? Where can we get an idea of the kind of action we should see in our lives? We have just looked at it. Mercy given to us, mercy for us to pass on. So just how God was motivated by love to pour out mercy, we ought to be motivated by that actual same love from God to have compassion for those in the circumstance that we once found ourselves in. To share that mercy, to allow them to share in the gift of grace. But what about not just having love for them but having mercy for them? As I said before, the state of our culture that we live in isn't, isn't too different from the culture that Ephesus had. Um, there's idolatry today, obsession with material things, um, and there's a lot of sexual immorality out there. So can we walk from the old ways and live in the new life that we have in Christ? I contemplated bringing up this topic because it's a little bit controversial and, I don't know, might push people's buttons, whether it's stuff it. <laughs> so let's take, for instance, gay marriage. Um, we're living in a society where this is the thing that's being discussed in, in the public domain. Um, and when it comes to Christians expressing their opinions publicly, we're typically getting smashed. Some, I think, are, are justified in getting smashed. I'll, I'll actually say that. They're not being loving. Um, and you kind of should expect them to be caught out on that. But some people are just expressing their opinion, which they're totally entitled to, and typically being labelled as bigots. But being called a bigot and then getting all angry and lashing out doesn't actually achieve a lot. What I get from this passage is that we should be able to pour mercy on people like this, who attack us, our character, even though we might not do anything wrong, and be, instead of having that 
human instinctual reaction to be defensive and, and lash out back like we, we should, would have in our old life. We're in a new life now and we should reflect Jesus and Jesus poured out mercy. And I think we should be pouring out mercy. Unfortunately, I think historically we didn't. Um, this is more an opinion thing, so take it or leave it a bit. But once upon a time, in general society, homosexuals were really oppressed and they were beaten and publicly you could humiliate them and it didn't really matter. But the tables have turned now and that, that's not the case so much anymore. Still, still a little bit, but mostly in, in the public. If you were famous and you tweeted something against gays, you get smashed, no doubt. Um, but that wouldn't have been the thing in the past and I think we missed an opportunity as a church to love people who were oppressed. That's where Christ would have been, loving those people. But right now we have people in our midst that we can still love. Um, I've been hearing a lot of statistics about Indigenous Australians. They have a ridiculously lower life expectancy than the rest of us. Um, For such a small percentage of the population, which they are that because we killed so many of them, something maybe we should be apologetic for, even though we weren't around for it. Um, They're a very small percentage of the population, but they represent a very large percentage of people in prisons. And that's because the, the culture that they're in, the lives that they live, thrust them into that sort of life. Um, you, can't, you can't expect people who haven't been taught very good things or feel outcasts to then act out on that and that's where they get put. Um, and it's, it's a tragedy and I think Christ's heart should, is breaking for them and our heart should be breaking for them. And they're right here and we can do something about it. The other one which is still kind of a bit uh, controversial is, is refugees. We have this Syrian crisis and I'm not saying it's not a complex matter um, but a lot of these people are Christians. Um, that's why they're fleeing, they're getting, they're getting massacred. And our hearts should be breaking for them. They're lost, their homes are destroyed. A lot, like a lot of them were fairly normal people. Like Syria wasn't like, you can imagine it as some crappy place but it, you know, a lot of them living normal lives, now it's a crappy place. So where is our love, mercy and kindness for these kinds of people? The broken, the hurting people. Some of them are angry and hateful people who call us bigots. Some are lost and homeless. Either way, I think we should have love, mercy and pour out kindness on them. Because back to that thing I was saying before about communicating, taking things that are in our heads and putting them in words and installing them in other people's heads what kind of things collectively are we doing as Christians in, in what we say and install in other people's heads? Do we put in their minds um, a false picture of who Jesus was or do we give them a, a true picture of who Jesus was? And you see both of that out there. So are the thoughts that we have good and kind or are they toxic? And so then when we share them, are they, do they... Are their effects good or are their effects toxic? I'll just leave you with that.